Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. This morning, um, those are seeds that were planted a long time ago. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? So it's exciting when you see people uh, testifying and getting, getting acknowledged and certificates and, and testimonies of, of what's going on in their life. But that stuff doesn't just happen. Seeds have to be planted. They have to be watered. And they have to be able to grow. You know, one thing that we haven't done yet, and I just would feel remiss if I didn't do it right now, can we give a hand to our teachers who are teaching the course? Amen? Right? So... I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if you can hear me if I need to go up, but um, to Raymond McKell, you know, the first, the first class he, he ended up teaching, uh, I taught salvation, then Raymond taught salvation. He's been teaching it now for, for, I think, three or four classes, and then Gary to teach baptism over and over again um, for Miss Peaches to begin, uh, and you can, you can only imagine how hard that was for her. She's figuring out computers, she's figuring out PowerPoint, she's playing YouTube videos, like, like the growth in her life has been amazing, and then all that just to be able to show people how to pray, to pray, and it's not a class where you're just like, this is how you pray, no, this is how you pray, like we're going to pray today. So Miss Peaches to teach that class, then Mary to teach discipleship and to stand there to be confident and to talk about discipleship and, and, uh, and her process even of discipleship, and even being under her husband as her pastor and in this ministry course it's just it's just amazing the the commitment of those folks and the devotion of those folks to to talk about it to prepare those classes to pray through that and to be ready for you guys um, and that's not any of their field it's not like they were they were teachers in the past you know what I mean and they were trained to do those things it's just God that's what he does right he equips and and he uh he blesses us so uh what a blessing it is in in a series can you put the the, the series image up for a time to plant you know Ecclesiastes 3 is the, the main scripture for our, for our series, that to everything there is a season. And in uh, chapter 3, I believe it's verse 2, it says, there is a time to plant. I don't know about in, in your individual lives, but I hope this month you've realized that it's a time to plant. I hope you're planting something in your life during this season, during this last month that you hope to reap, you hope to harvest next month or next year or five years from now. Some of you that are just starting in the courses, you know, um, it's going to be 18, 19 months from now. And hopefully at that point, you'll be able to harvest a, a full graduation. I'm going through all of these courses. Some of you are planting a virtue into your lives, right? And you're going to harvest purity in your lives. Some of you are, are, are planting seeds of Bible study and you're going to harvest wisdom. Some of you are planting seeds of faithfulness, right? And you're going to harvest strength. I hope you're planting something. It's not just coming in and out of church. As an individual, you've got to take that word and apply it to your life. 
You know, and, and I don't mean it in a, in a negative way, but the word of God a lot of times is like uh, one size fits all. We all get the word, but then you've got to take it and you've got to take that snap back and fit it to your head. You've got to take it and fit it to your heart, right? You've got you to take it and lace it up. You've got to apply it to your own life. So this season, this time to plant, um, man, it's been a joy, you know, a time to plant. Jesus planting hope. Uh, uh, on Father's Day, we saw that God is, is looking for gardeners, right, that, that can plant and tend to these gardens, the gardens of our families, the gardens of our, our wives, the gardens of our, our children. Um, so this morning, what I want to share with you guys is, is uh, the last week of our Time to Plant series, and it's called Plant Your Feet. <laughs> plant Your Feet. So <laughs> we need to be a people who will plant our feet, and hopefully this morning you'll, you'll see what that means. I want to share first out of Ephesians chapter 3. This is verse 14, Ephesians 3, 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, say whole family. Whole family. The whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So there's just, if, if I had to describe this portion of scripture, I would say abundance. It's like exceedingly and abundantly and, and to the full and more than you can think and more than you can ask. This, this scripture is literally overflowing with blessings. But where do they come from? It says, Planting your feet this morning is about being rooted in the things of God. When we say, when I say this morning to you that this last service of, of this series is about planting your feet, it's about being rooted in the things of God. Where are your feet planted right now? What are you rooted in? What is it that, that makes you stable, right? What is truly the anchor of your soul? Are you honestly this morning rooted in the things of God? When the pressures of this life come in and out, right? And the drama of this life comes in and out. Have you planted your feet and said, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. I will not be tossed to and fro because I'm rooted in the things of God. Verse 17 of that Ephesian scripture says, You being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So check this out. You need to be rooted in the things of God and the, and then the love of God. Then it says, then you'll be able to actually comprehend the width and the depth and the height of the things of God. But if you're not rooted, if you haven't planted your feet, you won't understand it. It's beyond knowledge, it says. Everything that we do in this church is about rooting and grounding people in the love of Christ. Amen. Let me say that again. Everything we do in this church is about rooting and grounding people in the love of God. Why do you do that? Root them and ground them. <laughs> Why do you do this to root them and ground them? Yeah. What do you want them to know? The love of God. Yeah. 
Why are you meeting on Friday so they'd be rooted and grounded in the love of God? So that they would know how much the Lord loves them and they'd comprehend it and they'd enter into it and it'd be overflowing in their life? Not so we have people we can parade across the stage and give them certificates, but so that you can hear the testimony that comes along with that certificate. I went through it twice because I just knew it hadn't, I needed more. And then when I was there and I experienced it and, and I'm crying and I'm laughing and I'm encountering God, I knew that's why the, you, the certificate doesn't mean anything without that. Just like coming to church doesn't mean anything without that. Amen. Right? Church is for Christians. Amen. Right? Don't come for a certificate. Come because you've experienced Jesus in your life. And you are now rooted and grounded in his love. Colossians 2, 5 says this, For though I am absent in the flesh, this is Paul talking, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, say taught, taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Like Paul, I'm not always with you guys, right? Paul says, listen, I'm not there in the flesh. I wish I was, but I'm not, but I am with you in spirit. It's very similar in our church. I'm not with you guys seven days a week. I'm with you for a couple hours on Sunday, a couple hours on Wednesday, right? The elders aren't with you guys every day, every hour. The leaders of the ministries that we're talking about, Julia got up here and talked about the women's ministry, right? And what happened last Friday, that's two times a month. She ain't with you every day. So what do we do? You take what you've learned and you walk in it. That's what Paul says to these people. I can't wait to see you because I know you're steadfast. I know you're strong. I know you're faithful. I know you've been rooted in this thing. So when I get there, I expect to see you walking in it. Take what you've learned, take what you've been taught, and walk in it day in and day out. You know, I, I love uh, Jerry's testimony. He said, Gary said something, and it's made me think the rest of the day and into this morning. And then you hear somebody else say, man, I, I wish I woke up earlier this morning so I could keep reading and keep learning, right? Because they're taking what they've been taught, and now they're walking in it on the day in and on the day out. Verse 6 and 7 said, You have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up, and rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This idea of being rooted, but also walking in Christ is the direction that I want to go in this morning. But first, let me pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for doing what you do, Lord. Thank you that our labor is not in vain, Lord. It's not just the, the leaders or the pastor or the elders or the ministry leaders, Lord. Each and every one of us here in this place, we are laboring in the kingdom, Lord. We're laboring in prayer. We're laboring in our faithfulness, Lord. We care about people in this church and outside of this church, Lord. We thank you that our labor is not in vain, Lord. That when we pray, you listen, Lord God. And when we speak, Lord, you empower those words, Lord God. And when we live our lives, Lord, they are a testimony to others that you are drawn them into the kingdom, Lord. We pray that you would just continue that work in us, Lord, that we would remember and meditate upon your word, Lord, the things that we've been taught that we would walk in them, Lord. Let us truly be rooted in your things, Lord, in your kingdom, that would be done according to your will, Lord God. Plant us firmly. Help us to plant our feet on solid ground, Lord. Help us to build upon the rock, Lord, and then help us to walk in you. We love you this morning. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. So the first picture I have for you guys, these are called racing stocks. Racing stocks. Can we get those up, Zach? So 
when you are going to, to run a race, if you're serious about running, if you're serious about racing, you have what's called racing stocks, right? And what do you do? You plant your feet in these stocks so that you can be propelled and accelerate forward, right? So in the first scripture it said you have to be firmly rooted and planted, but it's not to stand still, it's to be propelled forward, right? So uh, Paul said to him, you've already been rooted in the word of God, so walk in it, right? So get rooted, plant your feet in the things of God, but not to stand still only, to run a race that has been set before you. If you're, not, if you're not planted, anybody who's done this, right, your feet slip out from behind you, you kick a shoe off, right, you blow an Achilles out, all these things can happen to us. It's not to stand still, it's to run a race. So what I'm going to share with you guys this morning is, is running the right race after you've planted your feet in the right place, <laughs> right? You got to run the right race, but first you plant your feet in the right place, Firmly in the word of God, firmly in his kingdom and in his church, right? Firmly upon the truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. So running this right race, David said to Saul, listen, I love you. I love Israel, but I can't wear your armor and I can't fight your way. So when he says, I do love you and I do love Israel and I am willing to fight, right? What he's saying is, but I can't wear your armor. I've got to run. I've got to wear my armor. He's saying the same thing. I actually have to run my race. I can't be you and act like you and do it the way that you do it, but I do want to do it. It's very similar. I can't run everybody else's race. I have a race that I need to be running. David, we know he served Saul. We kind of talked about this lately. He honored Saul. Even when their relationship got so jacked up that that mutual love was gone. Some of you are in discipleship, we talk about this mutual love, right? So Saul, David comes into this relationship that we talked about where he loves Saul and he's worshiping for Saul and he's fighting enemies for Saul and eventually that, that relationship is torn and Saul's throwing spears at him trying to kill him. And what does David do? He just dodges the spears and keeps worshiping. Amen. He keeps saying, I still love you though, Amen. even though he's not being loved anymore. And he still says, hey, I'm never going to touch the Lord's anointed. Saul, God put you in that place. So regardless of how you act, I'm still going to honor you. When people say, hey, let's, let's make a plot and kill Saul. Let's kill our leader. Let's kill our pastor. He says, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I think we can learn from that. But he still says, I'm not going to be Saul. I've got my own race to run. Right? I'm firmly planted in the things that, that Saul was firmly planted in, but I'm going to run my race. See, there's a way to honor those who have come before us. There's a way to honor those who have led us to the best of their ability. And at the same time, make sure that we fulfill our purpose that God has for us. And David's such a great example of that. Running your race is the key to that. There's some things that are consistent. Everybody who is going to run a race, there are things that are going to be consistent for all of us. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. <clears throat> it says this, The race is not given to the swift. I love that Raymond, Raymond said that to us this, this morning. Didn't he say the tortoise and the hare? It's like these people read my notes before I preach. <laughs> he says, read the tortoise and the hare. The, the tortoise is always going to win. And then we read Ecclesiastes 9, 11 this morning. It says, the race is not given to the swift nor the battle to the strong, right? So Junior said, uh, 
I'm not going to go to the battlefield without my weapon. You can be the strongest person out there, but if you don't have your weapon, the weakest person on the battlefield that has a weapon will defeat you. The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. I love this. Everyone who runs a race will have time and chance as factors that they must deal with. Think about that for a second. It's not about being the strongest, the fastest, the wisest, the most well-prepared, right? We all thinking, hey, we're going to go run our race. We've done all these things to make sure that we can win. And it says this, time and chance are going to happen to everybody. Put the, the, the first picture up there, Zach, of uh, this Olympian. This happened in 1992. I don't know how many of you were, were watching the Olympics back then, but this man was running his race, and he blew out his hamstring. If you haven't seen it, look it up. He's running and he gets halfway through the race and, and uh, his hamstring goes out and he falls to the ground. And what ends up happening is his dad runs onto the actual track during the race, puts his arm around him and they're crying together and they finish running the race until he gets done. People are coming to stop them, right? The Olympian officials come in and say, hey, you can't be on the track. This is the Olympics. Worldwide, what are you doing out here? You know what his father said? Get away from me. This is my son and he's going to finish the race, right? But, but listen, imagine training your whole life and imagine being one of the world's best sprinters and you finally get to the stage that you want to be on and this is it, this is your race and halfway through it, you blow out your hamstring. Think about that for a second. You've worked your whole life for this and you've gotten to a place that not many people will ever get to and then he blows out his leg. You know why? Because time and chance happen to all of us. How many of us have had experiences like that? Where you've worked so hard for something, you've tried so hard for something, you've labored and you, you prayed and you did everything that you can do, and then all of a sudden, time and chance. Time and chance. Thank God for fathers like his father, though. See, when his father came, he could not fix his leg. He couldn't make it better. He couldn't start the race over. He couldn't make him win the race. All his father could do is say, hey, I'm here with you, son. Amen. And it doesn't matter that you're going to finish last. That's right. You're going to finish because you're not alone. Your father's with you. That's what it's like to have a relationship with God. Yes. He is not concerned with whether or not you finish first. He's concerned with you running your race and finishing with him. Watch the video. Look it up. 1992 Olympics. As he's on the floor, there's so many other things that are happening that, that just blow my mind and just touch my heart. He's, his dad has his arm around him, and, and he's jumping and, and trying to get there. He stops and just cries on his dad. And then as they're trying to finish the race, you can see long jumpers jumping, and you can see other sprinters sprinting because that's what it's like to be us. All these other things are happening, and it makes us feel even worse about what we're going through. <laughs> Time and chance come for us all. Man, but if you have the Father, you know, time and chance cannot stop you from finishing the race. Amen. Raise your hand if time and chance have come for you. Look at that. You're not alone. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says this about running a race. Everybody runs, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. See, there's actually a prize and a point and a goal, and everyone who runs 
is running for a reason. See, you have to run in a way that you would win. You may or may not be first to cross the line, but you've got to run with all you've got. You've got to give it all you've got. You've actually got to be striving for the goal. It's not just the hangout. It's not just, you know, let's go do a little bit of jogging. No, understand that there's a goal and run and try to obtain it, right? First Corinthians says this about all these people who are running their races. This is uh, verse 25 of chapter 9. It says that they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Put the next picture up for us, Zach. How many of you recognize uh, this guy here? Who's that? Michael Phelps. This dude has won some crowns. He's eating his gold medals. That's how many he has now. This dude, he trained and he ran in such a way that he would win and he won. And he won often. I think he might have the most gold medals of any other Olympian, right? But it's a perishable crown, right? See, what he's running for, that gold is going to last longer than him. He's going to die and there's going to be metal somewhere in his, in his case somewhere. It's going to be passed on to his, ki to his kids. What verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 9 says is that we run for an imperishable crown. We're not running for gold medals, man. We're running for the call, the upward call of God to heaven. Amen. What we're running for matters. When we go out and we do sidewalk sanctuary, we're running with a purpose. When we come in here on Friday night to do praying in the Spirit, it's not just to show up and feel better. No, we are praying for a purpose, to see God do things. We are running for a reason. Run in such a way that you would win. If you look at your life and you know one thing is for sure, time and chance is going to come. You don't know when your hamstring is going to blow out. But the whole goal is like, listen, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. When it does happen, I'd rather be an Olympian than a couch potato. <laughs> Run in a way that you would win. Do things on purpose. Do it with intentionality. Each of us this morning is running for a crown. Are you running in such a way that you would receive it? Are you running in such a way that if you blow out your hamstring today, you just have to look to the side and put your arm out because you know you're right next to the Lord? 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, say finally. finally. You know when finally is? Not yet. <laughs> right? For you, it's not yet. Paul says, I finished the race. I kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. Oh, he's running in such a way that he would win. He finished his race. He never denied the faith and walked away from God. And at the end, he says, finally, my crown that will not perish. So we all run. We all have time and chance to deal with. And we're all striving to be crowned by the Lord. I hope you can see already this morning how easy it is within the church to find yourself running someone else's race. Right? Because we're all running. And we're all trying to, to get a crown. And we all see that it's the Lord who we want to crown us. And we all are starting to see the difference between the perishable things that we've been striving for versus the eternal things that we've been striving for. So if we're all together, it's like, hey, we're all running the same race. But if we're all running the same race, then you begin to have these comparisons. If you're a martyr, then you're obviously more faithful than a missionary, right? Right? The martyrs are like, man, they died for their faith. They had their heads chopped off, right? We see them on the news right now where they will not denounce their faith and they get their heads chopped off because they're martyrs for Jesus Christ. They say, we're not going to turn our back on him. 
So those people are obviously more faithful than like a missionary. A missionary is somebody who says, listen, I'm willing to do anything for God. I'm going to fly overseas. I'm going to go places nobody's ever been before. And I'm going to, I'm going to serve God. Change my whole life. So martyrs are more faithful than they are. But then you would look at a missionary and you'd say, they're obviously more faithful than a local pastor, right? Because a local pastor, I mean, I mean, they're doing their thing for the Lord and everything, but, you know, they're close to their friends, they're close to their family oftentimes. They have homes, they're not traveling all over the world. But then obviously pastors are more faithful to the Lord than normal church attendees in the congregation, aren't they? They're more faithful. Because we're all running the same race, which means martyrs are running the best and the fastest, then it's missionaries, then it's pastors, and then it's like, you know, the regular people who come to churches. That's not true. That's not true. You know why it's not true? Because we're not all running the same race. But the truth is, inside of us, secretly, that's how we feel. We feel like that is true. And we all are running the same race, which means certain people are running it better than others. One of the things that took me a long time to realize, but it's given me so much peace and freedom in my walk with God, is that my race is my race. I'm not running against anyone else. I'm not running with or for anybody else. It's my race. It's been tailor-made for me. <laughs> See, when you think we're all running the same race, right? Like the video, you guys get a chance to watch this video. You see high jumpers or you see these other sprinters, right? So this guy's all jacked up and he's on the floor and he's watching these other people who are running the same race just destroy him. That's how a lot of us feel as Christians. You're running your race and you're watching other people just destroy you. <laughs> But God says, we're not all running the same race. Don't compare yourself to them. Here's a list of the Olympic races. The 10,000 meter, the 100 meter, the 100 meter hurdles, the 1500 meter, the 200 meter, the 20 kilometer race walk, 3,000 meter, meter steeplechase, 400 meter hurdles, 400 meter, the 4 by 100 meter relay, the 4 by 400 meter relay, the 5,000 meter, the 50 kilometer race walk, the 800 meter, and the marathon. You may be trying to run a marathon and God says, I, pre I prepared you for the 110 meter hurdles. Look at all those different races. So if we're all running the same race and we're just, you, you see somebody next to you and they're a Christian, but you just trip them because like, I got to win the race. <laughs> but that's not how it works. There's a lot of different races. You don't have to hurt somebody in their race, help somebody in their race, and run your own race. Amen. You think you're running a marathon, but you're supposed to be running hurdles, and you're wondering why your stomach hurts is because you're not jumping over the hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> and they keep hitting you. <laughs> run your race. Our God is way too creative to have everybody running the same race. Yes. And he considers each of you way too unique to have you run somebody else's race. Think about the God we serve. Just look at each other and you can see God's creativity. <laughs> we don't look the same. We don't act the same. We don't talk the same. We don't feel the same. We don't think the same. But we think God's going to make us run the same race. We think we're not significant enough that he would give us our own race. We think that he's not creative enough to give us our own race. I gave you 15 Olympic races, and God has one for every person on the planet. He has one race for every person on the planet. Right now, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. God has seven and a half billion races that need to be run. Amen. 
1 Corinthians 12.4 says this, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diverse, uh, differences in ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Man, I love this word. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> same word, same spirit. See, God is equipping each of us with the shoes that we need to run our individual race. Think about that for a second. If you've got a race and it's your individual race and it's tailor-made for you by God, he's also got some tailor-made shoes for you. See, you can speak in tongues and try to interpret all you want, but if that's not what God has for you, those are the wrong shoes. Stop trying to wear them. You can try to teach people all kinds of things about God and his word, but that's not your shoes. Then stop trying to do that. Figure out what are your shoes. What are your gifts? What are the things that God is calling you to do? And then do that. This list that we get here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe that it's a small list of shoes that are given for a particular reason. God's trying to make a point. He's saying, listen, these are some of the types of shoes that I give people. But it's not the only types of shoes that he gives people. When we think of shoes, all we think of is the big brands. Nike, Adidas, right? Uh, um, uh, Converse, Reebok, right? We think of those big brands. It's the same with ministries, right? Oh, healer, prophet, tongues, pastor, worship leader, evangelism. That's all we think of are the big names of the big brands. These shoes, put this picture up, Zach. These are called hokas. <laughs> this ain't Nike, this ain't Reebok, this ain't Adidas, this ain't Converse. These are hokas. I think that they're in the running for the ugliest shoe ever made. <laughs> and this is actually one of the better versions. Like, this is a good-looking hoka. I have no desire to buy a pair of hokas. Not only are they ugly and look like moon shoes, but they cost a lot of money. Raymond told me about these a few years ago, and I'm like, dude, don't even tell me about shoes like that ever again. You're never going to see them in my closet. But here's the thing. They're probably the most comfortable shoes on the planet. See? Listen to this. Listen to this. Mar marathoners actually wear these, train in them, and wear them when they run marathons. The point is this. If you want to go far... You need to wear shoes that are made for going far. Just because I don't like those shoes and I think they're ugly and I don't want to pay the money for them, God might be saying, this is the shoe for you. Yeah. Amen. And if you don't wear the shoe that I have for you, you won't be able to finish the race that I have for you. Amen. If God's given you a marathon to run in the kingdom, he's probably given you a pair of hokas. 
And you might be wearing hokas and trying to sprint and, figuring, and trying to figure out why you're so frustrated, <laughs> right? I'm running hard and I'm sprinting and I'm just so frustrated. I keep tripping up and I never win and, and, and I'm just tired of the church. I'm tired of ministry. And God's like, look, stop sprinting in those hokas. <laughs> I gave you these hokas so that you can run a marathon. You'll be much more happy if you run the race that I set for you in the shoes that I gave to you. Look at these next shoes. These are Nike spikes for sprinters. This is to go as fast as you can in a very short distance. Imagine trying to run a marathon in those. God's called some of us to sprint and we're trying to run marathons in shoes like these. Can you see why running your own race and using the shoes that God has given for you is so important? We want to blame the church. We want to blame the pastor. We want to blame the people in the church. We want to blame all kinds of things. And God's just saying, you're just not running your race and you're not using the shoes I gave you. Stop blaming other people and figure this out. This might have sounded crazy to you to hear this come out of my mouth before this message, but hopefully it doesn't sound crazy when I say it now. But if you are not completely sure of the race that you're running and you're not completely sure of the shoes that God gave you, stop running. You know me. I want to run and I want to serve and I want you to run and I want you to serve. But I want you to do that when you're sure about your race and you're sure about your shoes. I know the race I'm running and I believe I know the shoes that God has given me. So I run. If you're not sure, stop running because all you're doing is hurting yourself and you're hurting the church. When we go out and tell people about the goodness of God and the love of God, we need to see people who are running well in the, with the gifts of God. It hurts the church if you're running in spikes and you should be running a marathon and you're trying to tell people about the love of God. They're like, man, look, your feet are bleeding. You're, you want me to run with you? <laughs> see, when you first got saved, God did this miraculous, uh, supernatural work in your life, right? Right? You were born again and the Holy Spirit touched you and, and you thought you were just going to walk into a church and all of a sudden you're crying at the altar and things are being taken from you and stripped from you and you're being delivered. Like God is doing this crazy supernatural work in your life. Does anybody have that testimony? Like when you got saved, that's what it felt like? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Galatians 3, 3 says this. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, you are now being made perfect by the flesh. God saying this. When I saved you, when I called you, when I did all those things that nobody else could do in your life, when I made you feel a way that you had never felt before, you knew that it was my spirit and you knew you had nothing to do with it. Are you now so foolish that you think you're going to run your own race? You're going to pick your own shoes? When I'm the one that called you and did this supernatural work in your life, it's going to be accomplished by me in the supernatural. You don't now get to say, hey, thanks, Lord, for all that, but I'm going to go get my own shoes. I like these ones. I like that one. Oh, I like this color. Oh, that's the race for me right there. Why are you so foolish to think that what I started in the spirit, you're going to finish on your own in the flesh? But how many of us, that's what we do? because we haven't planted our feet and been deeply rooted in the things of God yet. Psalm 23, familiar portion of scripture, verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yes. But I'm going to pick my shoes and I'm going to pick my race. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord prepares a table for every individual in the presence of their individual enemies. Think about that for a second. Apply that to your life. Picture the Lord preparing a table for every individual, but it's in the presence of their enemies. What that means is this. God has a table for Vaughn that he's prepared, and he's put everything on that table for my provision, for me to be able to be strong, successful, blessed in the presence of my enemies. But if I run Steve's race, I end up sitting at Steve's table, which means what God has prepared for Steve will not be effective for me against my enemies. So many of us are running the wrong race and we're getting beat down by our enemies because you're sitting at the wrong table and you're wearing the wrong shoes and you're using the wrong provisions. Whose table do you want to dine at? The one the Lord prepared for you or the one the Lord prepared for me or for him or for her? So I'm going to give you these quickly, these three areas that I think are important when it comes to you running your race after you've planted your feet in the right place. The first is figure out where the finish line is. There's no prize for running. Let me say that again. There's no prize for running. How many people have we seen, they run and they even look like they're running pretty good, but they don't finish and they leave the church and they walk away from God, and they're back on Facebook acting a fool, and they act as if they never tasted of the goodness of God. There's no prize for running. There's no prize for running for one month, for six months, for six years, or 16 years. The only prize goes to those who finish the race. So figure out where the finish line is. Matthew 10, Jesus says, He who endures to the end will be saved. That's Jesus. Not the church that wants you to stay there for the rest of your life. Jesus says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Which means if you endure till one day before that, you will not be saved. There is no turning back. Remember, we talked about this, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Then there is laid up for me finally a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. Here's the picture. Jesus is at the finish line with a crown, which means you have to get there to get it, right? We all start a race. We all have our own individual race. He says you have to finish the race to get the crown, and you have to endure to the end to be saved, which means he's at the end, at the finish line with the crown. You better figure out where the finish line is. No prize for running. No prize for getting close. Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. I remember my dad teaching me that. <laughs> horseshoes and hand grenades. If you almost got the horseshoe around it, but it's touching, you get a point for that. If it's leaning on, I think you get two points for that. If you get it all the way around, you get three points for that. Hand grenades, same thing. If it's in the middle of this room, a bunch of people almost counts, right? Yeah. But not in the kingdom of God. You don't get almost saved. Amen. 
you don't almost endure. Some of us have been running like crazy, but we're no closer to the finish line than we were when we started. Think about that. Some of us, we've been doing everything we can for God, showing up to every event on the calendar, giving that tithe and that offering consistently. But we're not even close to the finish line because we don't know where we're actually supposed to be running. We don't know what the actual race is that God has laid before us. That's the most frustrating thing to feel like you've been running like crazy and then you look up and, and you haven't gained any ground. It's frustrating in relationships. It's frustrating with our kids. It's frustrating with our finances. How many of us look up and you're like, I've been working like a dog for years and I got no savings. I actually have debt. When the Lord leads, he tells us where the finish line is. And he provides water of refreshing along the way. That's how you know you're, you're on the right track and you're going towards the Lord is Number one, he's told you, hey, this is where I'm taking you. This is where the finish line is. Go that way. And then when you're on the way, just like on, if you ever watch a marathon, right? If you're watching a marathon on TV, what happens? Every so often, there's these stations with water. And you just run by, grab some water, throw it on, throw it on your head. They grab another one, drink it, and they, they keep on running. If you've been running for like an hour and a half and you haven't hit a water station, you are not on track. <laughs> <laughs> You done took a ride or left somewhere. You're running through the city. You're still running, but everybody else is on the course. If you've been running as a Christian and you're dying of thirst, you're not on track. God will provide refreshing for you. I was exhausted this week. Exhausted. And then I come yesterday and I'm refreshed. Not because I got a nap or I got extra sleep, because I see, Lord, I must be on track. Look at all these people here on a Saturday who want to grow. My labor is not in vain. Being here yesterday was like grabbing that water and splashing my face and then grabbing one and drinking it. And then hearing the testimonies this morning, it's like I hit another one. Bam, bam. That's how you know you're on track. In your life and in your walk with God, are you being refreshed pretty consistently? If not, stop running. You might be going the wrong way. You might be doing the wrong things. You're just wearing yourself out. Genesis chapter 24. Talk about going the right direction, being on track. Abraham was old. He was well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please, put your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, of, the Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I'll give this land, he will send his angel before you, and he shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he swore to him concerning this matter. The servant took ten of his master's camels and he departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. He arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. 
And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I'll know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her, and he said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. There's so many things here that I wish I could talk about all of them. You know, I've been talking to Julia about the women and the women's ministry, and, and this, this, this uh, servant says, what if the woman isn't willing to follow, right? Then you've got this woman who's got her own business to handle and her own labor that she's doing, but she's faithful enough to say, in the midst of everything I'm doing, I'm going to serve somebody else. It's kind of like Sidewalk Sanctuary. We all got a lot of stuff going on, but man, maybe we'll go out and serve some other people. So many things like that in the scripture, but here's, here's what matters. This servant of Abraham, you know what his name is? Nobody knows. You know why? Because he's nameless. <laughs> he's so important, but we don't even hear his name. You know why? Because most of us are nameless in the world that we live in. Nobody knows us, right? Nobody's following us on, on Twitter. <laughs> Those people ain't following you. They just want to see what's going on in your life. Anyway, we're like this guy. He has a race to run, but he's nameless. Nobody knows who he is, but God knows who he is. And God knows exactly the race that he set before him. So here this guy is, and he's running this race that God has set before him. And then there's this water station, literally and spiritually. Right? He finds himself at a well. He wants to know if he's going the right direction. He wants to know if he's in the favor of God. And he says, listen, if, if this is what you want, God, and I'm on the right track, have her give me some water. Have her give me some water. And she does, and that's how he knows he's on track, that he's, that he's doing what God has called him to do. And eventually he finishes the race. Rebecca comes with him. Right? She marries Isaac. He fulfills the destiny of his master, which was Abraham, when he called him to run this particular race. And halfway through, he got that water. Are you on the right track? Are you doing what God has called you to do? He stopped and he prayed. He didn't just take the word from the master. Halfway there, he stopped and he prayed. And God met him. Quick example from the New Testament. That's Old Testament. This is uh, Luke 22.7. It says, it came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? He said to them, behold, when you have entered a city, the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters and you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he'll show you a large, furnished upper room, and there make ready. 
So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with them. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus gives specific directions for the race. He literally has a pitcher for water for them when they get halfway, right? And when they finish the actual race and they've prepared the Passover and Jesus is there, Jesus is at the finish line. And he says, I've longed to be in this place at this time with you for this meal. Amen. Think about that. He told them where to go. He gave them water when they got halfway. They finished the race and had everything prepared. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room sitting with them. He says, this is the spot. This is the meal. You are the ones that I chose to be here with me. And I'm so excited to be here with you. When you're running the right race, you'll find yourself dining with Jesus often. Yes. If you look up and you're like, man, I miss him. I haven't seen him in a while. I, I don't feel his presence. You might be running the wrong race. Because those who are running the right race get refreshed. Those who are running the right race find the finish line often where they dine with Jesus. Most of you have heard this scripture, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Most of the time we talk about that for salvation, right? God's knocking on the door of your heart. Open up, let him in, he'll save you. But this morning I want you to consider that maybe that's happening more often, not just salvation. God's saying, listen, I'm knocking on the door that I told you to go to. If you listen to me, if you run the right race, if you take the refreshments along the way, you'll get to the door. And when I knock on it, you'll be there to answer it. And I'll come in and dine with you. You know what's happening to many of us? We're running like crazy and Jesus is at the finish line doors of our lives and we never make it there. Because we don't know where the finish line is. We haven't got any refreshing. He's knocking and we're not there to open the door. There's nothing like when the Lord knocks and there you are to open the door and he's like, Hey, this is where I told you to be. I'm glad you're here. I have a meal for you. I told you guys the testimony about when Megan sent me that text message and I felt like, man, Lord, if I had have been anywhere else doing anything else and not where I'm supposed to be right now, I wouldn't have been able to answer this door and have that refreshing come upon me and have that meal with you that we were able to have. So figure out where the finish line is. I'm going to bring this to a close. Stick with me. Number two is learn how to run. Learn how to run. Put up that next picture, Zach. This is a, a crew of people running. Anybody notice anything about them? Yeah. And don't say they're all brothers. <laughs> they're all running exactly the same way. Think about that for a second. How is that possible? You know how it's possible? They learned how to run. And they're all implementing what they've learned. Now put up the next picture. This is us. <laughs> you've, got, you've got these people who know how to run and they've got perfect form and they're all the same, but we look like this. <laughs> We gotta learn how to run. Now go back to the next, go back to the last one, Zach, the last picture. Be honest. 
in the spirit, in the church, in the things of God, do you look like this? Next one, Zach. Or do you look like this? Don't lie this morning. Be honest with yourself. We need to learn how to run. I played college football. I played some pro football. At the end of my career, I was just a little bit too slow. Just a little bit too slow. Had opportunities, and if I was a little bit faster, maybe I would have made it a little bit further. So what I did at the end of my college career is I got a, I got a track coach. I was running like a, a 4 five forty. I needed to be like a 4-4, four, four, a low 4-4-40. Four, four, so I get this track coach who, who uh, comes and he, and he begins to train me. And I thought that I had been running my whole career because I played sports. But when I got with this guy, he actually taught me how to run. I was usually the fastest around, so there was no reason to really think about how to run because I was faster than everybody else. When the, when the playing field leveled out, Right at the end of at the end of uh, uh, when I got into college and then after college I'm playing in a couple of like bowl type games I'm like hey man everybody's fast, <laughs> right? And the difference is those who actually know how to run are a little bit faster. When the when the tra when the track coach told me he's like hey you don't know how to run I was like come on man, <laughs> I've been playing football since I was seven, I know how to run he's like no you don't know how to run. Too many Christians try to go from being born again and walking their first couple of steps and then they want to run. I got saved. I'm learning to walk with God and now I'm just, I'm going to run for Jesus. Eventually, the playing field levels out and those who never learned how to run, they get left behind. Right? You get around other Christians who have learned how to run. You come up against some hard times. You come up against some difficulties. And then all of a sudden, you just try to give it more and you're losing. There's no form. There's no, there's no consistency. And you fall behind because you never learned how to run. They get injured. They go into depression. And everybody says, man, I remember when, when they used to run well, when they were pretty fast, when they were doing pretty good. And now they're depressed. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're talking bad about the church. They're hurt. And why does that happen? Because they never learned how to run. Here's some common running injuries from people who think they know how to run. Runner's knee, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, shin splints, iliotibial band syndrome, stress fracture, patellar tendonitis, ankle sprain, pulled muscle, blisters, chafing, and side spasms. How many Christians are suffering from spiritual versions of those types of injuries? Because we run hard, but we don't know how to run well. We are running as hard as you can. When it says side spasm, that means like, you know, when you've been running and you get a crap in your side. That's how a lot of Christians are. You're running so hard, but you're getting these cramps. You're blowing out your knee. You're blowing out your Achilles. So when I said earlier this morning that, that there are things that are similar to everybody's race, regardless of what type of race you're running, in addition to time and chance coming for all of us, form and fitness and strength and recovery should be part of everybody's race. How much time have you spent learning how to run? Do you have form? Do you have fitness? Do you get tired quickly? Do you have actual strength? 
have you learned how to recover? I was talking to one of the ministry leaders yesterday, and I was telling her, it just sounds like you need some time to recover. You've been running. You've been running hard. It's okay to, to recover. That should be part of being somebody who runs well, is learning how to recover. This is Acts chapter 18, verse 20. So they asked this man to stay a little longer with him, and, and he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I'll return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, he had gone up and greeted the church. He went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Think about that. He's running hard. He's making impact, right? I thank God for those who come alongside, though, and say, you know the things of God, but we can help you understand the way of God more accurately. Apollos is saved. He's preaching. He's traveling. People are getting saved through his ministering, right? It says that he knew the things of God and he proclaimed it with power and authority. But then this couple, they see him in the city and they're like, hey, come with us, man. You know the things of God and you can see the power of the things of God. But let us show you the way of God. He's saying, look, you're running hard. But if we don't teach you how to run, you're going to get injured. You're not going to make it for the long haul. See, in this church, we have these things called courses. And we could easily have titled them Teaching People How to Run. Teaching People How to Run. Salvation, baptism, prayer, discipleship, ministry. It's not easy to go through these courses, but here's what I've seen in 10 years of pastoring. Too many people are suffering from injuries as a result of not knowing how to run well. Too many people come into this church and they say, we know God. We know the things of God. Well, let us explain the way of God to you. Amen. Humble yourself and let us help you learn how to run. Yes. What a testimony from, from Susie this morning. What did she say? I've been in church almost my whole life, but I've learned more here than ever before. What that means is this. She knows the things of God. She does. When she got here, she knew the things of God. And then she's got this younger pastor <laughs> who hasn't even been saved as long as she's been serving God. But what she says in this last season, she says, I've been poked, I've been prodded. You think we poke you and prod you to hurt you? No, what we're saying is, listen, you're like Apollos, girl. And we see the impact. You're running a community Bible study in your house. But let me be Aquila and Priscilla. And let us show you the ways of God. That you would be able to run even better and longer. We want to make sure you make it to the finish line. 
A lot of people here and in all churches think they know how to run and it's just not true. I played football for a lot of years and the truth was I didn't know how to run and it prevented me from going as far as I could have gone. We want to see people make it. There are people in this church who are going to be powerful members of a prayer ministry, but they have to learn how to use the gift first. That's us saying, listen, it's there, but let us show you how to run well. There are people here who are going to be powerful members of worship ministry, but they've got to learn how to worship with the body instead of outside of it. That's us saying, hey, let us show you how to run well. There are people here who are going to lead uh, Bible studies and churches but they first got to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. That's us saying, let us show you how to run well. Amen. Culture's changing. Methods are changing. What happened yesterday and what used to touch lives yesterday is not going to work today. Our enemy is adapting and we have to adapt. We always stand firm on the word of God. Don't, don't get me wrong, we're never going to change that. But just because something worked last year, just because something worked 10 years ago, just because God used it for the Azusa Street Revival, doesn't mean that it's going to work today and tomorrow for our kids. That's right. Sports are changing too. When I was a kid, we played all the sports and there was always a season off. Now, sports are year-round. Kids have to specialize. They don't play all the sports. They choose a sport. And they don't play sports. They train. Our kids are not playing sports. They're training. The church is changing. You've got to be ready in season and out of season. And you don't just go to church to feel good. You train Amen. to win a race. Amen. Those who run well will be the ones that the, that the church is in their hands in the future. If you don't know how to run, if you don't have endurance, if you don't have form, if you look like those girls look, you ain't going to make it. And God's not going to put the church in your hands. So I'm going to close. Figure out where the finish line is. Learn how to run. And this thing called mile markers and uncharted territory. Mile markers and uncharted territory. We have to honor the past. <clears throat> but also have a realization that without it, there's no future, right? Amen. We've got to move. We've got to change. We've got to grow. We've got to do what God is telling us to do in this season. But we have to honor the past as well. The finish line for this generation and the next generation is beyond the finish line of previous generations, right? So like the church is growing and God is moving. So where the finish line was 50 years ago, we're not trying to get to that same finish line. The finish line is further. There's further that we have to go. So here's the issue. If the past prevents the next generation from entering into their future, that disappoints and dishonors God. But if the present tries to move on without honoring the past, that also disappoints God. So many of us are so quick to say, well, that's the, that's the past and that's old and this is what God is doing now and I'm just going to go and do it. No, just honor the past. Thank God for that past and then use it as a launching platform. And then so many of us maybe in the past are saying, listen, I don't care what these people want to do and where they want to go. I don't, I don't believe in them and not, that's not what God has for them because you're stuck in the past. You've got to have both. In this church, I believe that you can be taught how to run. You can be shown how to run, but then you have to run your own race. And my prayer is that it's much further than the race that I'm running that you experience much more of God and do things that I can only have dreamed about. Amen. 
when somebody shows you something, when somebody disciples you, when somebody teaches you, in many ways, they can only take you as far as they've gone, right? As far as they've experienced. And then they say, go now, go further. I called this, this last one mile markers and uncharted territory because God's been showing me something about people who pave roads for us, right? So uh, second to last picture, Zach. This is a mile marker. If you're driving on the freeway, most of us look at that and say, why, why are those there? <laughs> All I need is the big one that says your exit in five miles. This is when somebody is actually paving the road, they put mile markers there, right? The road actually stopped at, at mile marker 87 at some point. They've gone 87 miles, and then somebody else comes along and says, I'm going to pave mile 88. And then once they've paved it, they put a stake in the ground and says, mile 88, we've been this far. So this idea of discipleship, this idea of growth, this idea of being trained, what people are saying is like, look, we're at mile 87, and I want to show you how we paved 87 miles, and then I'm not going to tell you, hey, that's it, you made it. You've got to go on to uncharted territory. But if you don't come through the first 87 miles, then there's a gap in the road, number one. Number two, you don't know where it was going and how to get it where it's supposed to go. We need both. So many people come into the church and they just want to do their own thing. And it's like, why? Why? Enjoy the road and then go do your own thing. And so many people in the church get frustrated when we see people going on to uncharted territory. It's sad, but, here, but here's the truth. When, when people testify about being in a prayer meeting on a Saturday and crying and weeping and being touched by God, some people are like, ugh. How dare you go further than me? I've been running like crazy for years. You've been here for a year and a half, and you're having experiences that I've been wanting to have. Well, you might want to wear your shoes. You might want to run your race. You might want to learn how to run. This isn't to, to, to put markers on individual people, but, but these lives that we're talking about, just take some time and look at the road that they came in on. They came into a church with courses. They immediately started those courses, right? And we wonder why they're hitting those, those refreshing seasons, those times where they're getting dumped water on themselves. And many of us are just bitter and dry and no water, but we've been running for years. <coughs> last picture, and I'm going to close. And then I'm not even going to share the last scripture. I'm just going to tell you what it's about. Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla, is building tunnels underground through LA right now. Electric cars and he's building his own tunnel system for electric cars, and people are telling him, you're crazy. Yet we're tired of traffic, and we're tired of gas prices, and we're tired of how much a car costs, and it breaks down, all that kind of stuff, right? And people are telling this guy, you're crazy. That's not how we do it. But he's going into uncharted territory. And you know what's gonna happen in 20 years? Yep. Our kids are gonna be in those tunnels, and we're gonna be those old folks that don't know how to work the VCR. <laughs> But you need both, right? You need the regular road and you need the cars and you need everything that we've been through, but we should be learning and discipling and teaching people so they would say, well, listen, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What about hydrogen cars? What about electric cars? What about tunnels? What can we do to take this further? How can we go into uncharted territory? He doesn't just jump ship and do his own thing. No, he's come through some things to get where he's going, honoring the past to get to the future. The scripture I was going to share with you guys about Elijah and Elisha. 
Elisha followed Elijah everywhere. He let himself be discipled. He submitted himself under Elisha. And he went places that he had never been before, but they were all places that Elisha had been. If you look at the end, Elisha, Elijah went back to these specific places that he had already been, but he brings his disciple to those places. His disciple continues to follow. And then at that moment of transition, what happens is the Lord says, hey, Elijah, this is your finish line. You made it. Chariot of fire into heaven, right? And then the Lord looks at Elisha and he says, now, what about you? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. I want to go twice as far as Elijah went. Amen. And then he tests it out. He goes back with the mantle, the honor of, his, of the one that discipled him. He touches the, the, the Jordan and it parts. Right? And he's like, man, what I learned in the past is going to be so important for my future. And then Elisha goes places into uncharted territory that Elijah had never been. Please, let somebody teach you how to run. They're not doing that for their own benefit. They're not doing that to hurt you. They're doing that because they want you to run without injury. They want you to run with endurance. They want you to make it to your finish line. And ultimately, they want you to go places with God that they're never going to get to go to on their own. Let's stand. Worship team, we're going to do this quickly. We're just going to pray. And I want to pray with some folks that, uh, <clears throat> that feel compelled this morning. The first prayer is, as always, if anybody is not saved and you want to be, just raise your hand right now. Don't take a lot of time. Just say, hey, my feet have never actually been planted and rooted in Jesus Christ. I've been to church, right? But all I know is the baptism of John. All I know is that I need to repent of my sins. I don't know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, my salvation confirmed, and be able to grow with God, and, and, and never worry about being anywhere else outside of the will of God. Anybody not saved, but you want to be, raise your hand. I'm going to move forward. Anybody, today's your day. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're all saved. I'm glad you're all saved. That's what matters most. Second is for growth. Does anybody here who wants prayer for allowing yourself to be led and allowing yourself to be led with joy? Would you come to the altar? Right? You need to be taught how to run. You need to be taught how to run well. You want to actually endure. You want to make it to the finish line. And you would say, Lord, I know you're capable, but I want you to send a man into my life. I want you to send a woman into my life that would be able to say, that's not how you run. You're pretty fast, and and you look like you're running, and it feels like you're running, but let me tell you, young man, let me tell you, young woman, you're not going to make it like that. The playing field is going to level out, and you're going to get hurt. You're going to blow a knee out. You're going to pull a hamstring. You're going to get bitter. You're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated because you just didn't learn how to run. If there's anybody else, make it to the altar right now. God will send you somebody that will show you how to run. God will use this church to help you learn how to run. You can endure. You'll make it to the finish line. God will send each and every one of you down here right now. He will send you refreshing, times of refreshing along the road. Run your race. Don't run anybody else's race. You're not supposed to be me. You're not supposed to be the next man. You're not supposed to be the next woman. You're supposed to be you. You are enough. You are unique. You are called by God. You are chosen. He made you just the way that you are. He loves you, but he has shoes for you, and he has a race for you. Don't run anybody else's race. Learn how to run. Learn how to run well. And then the last group, this group that's here now, they want to learn how to run. They want to learn how to run well. 
I don't know what else God may have been doing this morning in the message, but if you're here and anything ministered to you where you feel like you want it to be firmly rooted, you want it to be firmly planted, this is the end of our Time to Plant series. This is your last altar call to be able to say, I want to plant something in my life this morning. Make it to the altar if that's you. You want to plant something in your life, something ministered to you this morning or through the course of this month, and you want to make sure it gets into the soil. Don't take that seed home with you. It's no good. The soil is here. The soil is now. Don't let the weeds and the tares of this world come up and choke out the life that God wants to bring into your life. Anybody else this morning? Hallelujah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song, but first I'm going I'm to pray and release everybody. For those that are at the altar, if you want to be prayed over, just stay here. I'm going to release the service, but I'm going to actually ask um, our, our prayer ministry leader, Ms. Peaches, I'm going to ask Mary to stay around and pray. I'm going to pray for these people for a little while. We're also going to call Carmelo down from upstairs, and he's going to pray. And Miss Sandra, we're going to ask you, after you're prayed for, to, to help us pray over others here this morning. We believe that God is teaching people how to run, and God is giving shoes, and God is giving gifts. And if we're humble enough to receive them, we can all be blessed. So I'm going to pray, I'm going to release, and then we're just going to worship and spend some time praying. Lord, we thank you for this, this day. We thank you for this series. We thank you for what you're doing and how you tie it all together, Lord. We couldn't have planned it if we wanted to, Lord. It's only by your word and by your power. Help us to be obedient, Lord God. Help this season of a time to plant, Lord, really grow and bear fruit. Anything that you've done in this, this series with your people in this church and our extended families, Lord God, we pray that it would be watered. We pray that it would be tended to, Lord God. We pray that it would bear fruit for years and years to come, that we'd be able to look back and say, it started right then. It started right there. Things were never the same from that point forward, Father God. We thank you. I ask right now, Lord, for everybody here at this altar, Lord, that you would meet them here, that it would... It would be a time of refreshing that this moment would be that, that moment along the road where we find water. When we've been thirsty and we drink of you, Lord God. When we're hot and we're sweaty and we're tired, Lord, and we get that thirst quenched, Lord. And that, that time of refreshing, let this moment be that moment for us, Lord. I pray that you would give these men and these women, Lord, a vision of where the finish line is. The race that you've called them to run. Where they're going, Lord God. And that they would be patient enough to be helped along the way, Lord. That they would be able to be tended to. That they would be able to be shown how to run. How to run with fitness. How to run with endurance, Lord God. Bless your people. You love us. And you want us to finish the race. You said yourself, those who endure to the end will be saved, Lord. Give us endurance this morning. We love you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this series. We thank you for these people. All glory unto you. In Jesus' name, listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app. 
by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.